Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, February 3rd, marks our 172nd program. Today's featured Actus solution is the live virtual CDI bootcamp. The live virtual CDI bootcamp is Actus's premier training for CDI specialists. Trusted by hundreds of CDI specialists as the go-to source of CDI education, this course defines the role of CDI specialists and provides comprehensive training. Improve your CDI know-how with Actus endorsed best practices for medical record review and compliant physician querying. So this particular class is taught live in a convenient virtual setting. Get the same small classes and personal touch and interaction we provide in the classroom. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out this course at hcmarketplace.com slash live virtual clinical doc integrity. All right. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists. I'm your host for today's program, Denials Management and Education at Henry Ford. I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left, Don Valdez. Don is a Clinical Documentation Integrity Education Specialist for HC Pro and Actus, where she serves as a full-time instructor for our CDI boot camps and a subject matter expert. Dawn has more than 20 years experience in the healthcare industry, including ICU nursing, legal nurse consulting, and was a nurse manager for a large third-party administrator for which she initiated a nurse audit program. Uh, welcome back to the show, Dawn. Thank you, Brian. Great to be here. Absolutely. Next, I'd like to introduce our special guest today, making their first appearance on the podcast. We have with us uh, Frank Lewandowski. Frank is the manager of the documentation and coding education development and delivery teams at Henry Ford Health System. He's been in the industry more than eight years, focusing on providing education to providers for inpatient and ambulatory documentation related to quality and professional fee capture. He's a graduate of the University of Mississippi and Baker College in Clinton Township, and I want to welcome him to the show. Uh, welcome, Frank. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Don, for having me. Absolutely. We also have with us uh, Patty uh, Vitasinski. Patty is the manager of CDI quality improvement for the Henry Ford Health System as well. She's been in the industry for 19 years, starting as a frontline CDS. Patty's group focuses on delivery of provider education, onboarding new CDSs, internal auditing, and denials management on the inpatient side. So, welcome to the show, Patty. Thanks, Brian and Don. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're very Good happy to have, to have you on. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. I'm going to go ahead and pull that up. Uh, today we're asking a simple question. Is your CDI staff involved in denials management? Giving you a couple options here. Your options are yes. CDI staff are wholly or partially dedicated to denials. Yes, but maybe indirectly called on to assist as needed. Uh, no, but maybe your CDI physician advisor or some other like title fulfills this function. 
Um, no, is it another department that handles denials? Or other, or not applicable. And as I always say, if you do have something not applicable or something non-traditional, please drop it into the, the comments section. I'd love to hear from you. Again, we're asking, is your CDI staff involved in denials management? And your options are yes. CDI staff are wholly or partially dedicated to denials. Yes, but indirectly. No, but a CDI physician advisor helps. No, or another department handles or other, not applicable. We've got about 75% of our audience that have voted, so I'm going to go ahead and close this out and we'll, we'll get on with the interview. We'll come back to that in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, Frank and Patty, uh, you're a special guest today. I want to welcome you to the show on behalf of Henry Ford and, and thanks for being a part of the podcast. Um, as I always do, I'd like to maybe start by setting the stage for our audience. No two, no two CDI programs are alike, no two hospital organizations are quite alike. So could you talk just a little bit about the broader health system and then up drilling down into your CDI department, for example, how many staff you have and, and sort of the principal focus that your CDI program takes there? Sure, Brian, I'd be happy to. Henry Ford was founded in 1915 by Henry Ford himself. And we are a nonprofit um, health system within Southeastern Michigan. Um, we include six hospitals, which um, our flagship is Henry Ford Detroit. Um, we also have a hospital in Macomb, Wyandotte, West Bloomfield and um, Allegiance, which is in Jackson. And we have an inpatient psychiatric hospital called Kingswood. Um, we also have a Henry Ford Medical Group where our physicians are employed through Henry Ford. And we have about 250 outpatient facilities. We also own our own health plan called Health Alliance Plan that covers a little over a half a million lives. We had about 100,000 discharges in 2019. We employ about 30,000 people and we are the fifth largest employer in, in Southeastern Michigan. Locally, our inpatient CDI team is made up of 43 CDSs, mostly consisting of nurses. We cover all five inpatient facilities and we review all payers. We use EPIC and 3M as our EMR and CDI software. And a very integral part of our team is our coding professionals. And both coding and CDI groups report up through revenue cycle and we are lucky to have the same director and the same VP. And this truly has brought our teams together with the same mission and the same vision. All right. Patty, I love the fact that you have um, gotten rid of silos with your multiple hospital systems. I think that's really amazing. That's very beneficial. Now, the one thing that I'd like to segue into for your denial department, because a lot of organizations are just now starting, you know, to think about organizing their denial departments, but what is the role of the CDIs in denial management for your organization? And then if you could just extrapolate a little bit on the rationales for the system that you put, put in place. Sure, our denials team for the inpatient side um, is made up of four experienced CDSs 
and they look at, they evaluate, they research, and then they write the appeal, of course, if, if it's appealable. Mm -hmm. And then they also provide education back to our frontline CDS team when it's appropriate. I also am lucky to have three experienced CDSs that comprise our inpatient education team. And they provide direct education to our providers in the form of tip sheets, presentations, and newsletters. And um, that goes out to every provider. So you have a dedicated CDI staff that teaches the providers, and then obviously when the denials come in, they're integrated in that as well? Correct. Oh, wow. So our, nice. our denial team researches and writes the medical side of the appeal. And then we have a dedicated coding professional that puts the information together to, in a letter to the insurance company. It truly is a team effort. And then yeah. quarterly, our CDS teams and our coding teams sit, and I'm using air quotes, um, because of course we're virtual now, we sit down together and we review denial information. And then our educators present to both teams simultaneously education regarding any trends we're seeing on the denial side. Denial information is also provided monthly to our site managers so they can share it with their frontline CDS and also on a higher level in their huddles weekly. And Frank, um, Frank has a whole outpatient side of this. Okay. Thanks, Patty. Yeah, so our, our documentation coding education team uh, works primarily uh, with providers for professional fees. And so we take a look at both uh, inpatient trends related professional fee capture, which are actually captured by a coding team, uh, and also the ambulatory side. And so all our office visits and office-based procedures are captured and documented by pr the providers performing them. So it's, it's all provider-driven. So our team- Very nice. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. We we spend the time. Um, we have a, a division of our group that does uh, constant chart reviews, looking for opportunities for providers to improve their documentation. We have a, a wing of our team that actually meets with providers one on one, and we've we've shifted that to complete virtual. And then we have a development side that researches new coding updates and also puts together uh, the tip sheets and teaching curriculum that we roll out within health organization. Wow, now, you guys have the total package. Yeah, and so I think Patty, Patty and I have worked together for a long time. I actually started um, in the data review side uh, for Profees, and so we've we've tried to work together not only with what the scope of what our teams touches, where where Patty's team is primarily inpatient DRG based, and we're looking at Profees, but a lot of that stuff overlaps, and it really comes down to good quality documentation. Uh, correct uh, coding when it comes to choosing our diagnoses, and I think that helps affect not only quality, but the denials that might get associated with that. Exactly. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. Yeah, great stuff. You know, that, that does kind of dovetail into my next question, Frank. Um, you guys make such an emphasis on educating providers. Interesting, you have three CDSs sort of uh, dedicated to that, and uh, could you maybe talk a little bit more about what you what you educate them on and and how that feedback loop works? You know, do you do you share denials and statistics or cases with your providers, or is it more of a higher level? You you you're seeing trends and then provide education on that. So there's there's a couple of posts. Oh. Go ahead, Patty. 
No, go ahead, Frank. Okay, as I say, so I, I'm just going to talk on the the profi side, where we actually have uh, 20 educators that are out in the field working with providers one on one, and they meet with them by a couple of different metrics um, related around how they choose their their um, diagnoses, their levels of service, and we'll meet with providers based on that accuracy. So providers that do really well in doing that, we meet with them uh, less frequently and ones that need more help, that's where we move, move our educators. Um, where this kind of relates from denials is we do touch them for coding. And so uh, we partner uh, with some trended data and Henry Ford on the inventory side, they have dashboards that administrators can trend uh, denials, uh, trends for, for a variety of different scopes. And so uh, first thing we usually focus in on coding, and that's all related to, especially on the inventory side, the documentation they do and the diagnoses they choose. And those, those help um, not only reinforce that denial piece, but also the quality of documentation and all the individual levels of service that, and, and procedure CPT codes that they're choosing on their own. And then Patty, you can talk a little bit about how you guys look at denials on your end. Yeah, so we, we share our monthly denial statistics through our physician champions, and we, we're blessed to have a physician champion at each site, um, as well as we share specific denial examples with them. And we also take denial examples and statistics to provider meetings that we're invited to every month. If we see a trend, we'll reach out to that individual provider as well. Our inpatient education team takes the denial trends that we're seeing and uses them to base our education for those providers and also for our task force meetings for our CDI encoding professionals. Here's an example. We had a great big push, and actually the push is still going on, about severe protein calorie malnutrition documentation. And we felt education was needed. So we went out to the providers and we showed them the impact of the um of that diagnosis on the soi the rom and the length of stay for those patients but we also educated them on what clinical indicators needed to be there to support that diagnosis some of the providers truly didn't understand the value of the diagnosis until we showed them the impact and then we would also often get oh i'm not treating that when in fact they're prescribing a medication or ordering a diet or monitoring a lab, and we all know that's treatment. Both of our groups um, talk to providers about their documentation, but always remember, inpatient and outpatient documentation is very different. Team approach for us is certainly working. It really sounds like a great program you guys have developed. And I'm going to reiterate, it sounds like you have the total package with both sides. And I love the fact that you have dedicated educators. I think that's wonderful. I'm going to flip a little bit in the direction of the conversation. I want to talk about the examples of some of the wins that you've appealed on your denied claims. And could you share any of your top diagnoses with us? And then just talk about in general, like any over turn percentages that you may know um, or a difficult case that was denied that you know is kind of like the hallmark to fame for denials sure I'd love to but we all know that winning against insurance companies is not easy no. so we had to kind of flip the script we identified our five high denial diagnoses which are sepsis 
severe protein calorie malnutrition, encephalopathy, respiratory failure, and type 2 MI. And then we developed a work queue that these diagnoses fall into prior to the bill dropping to, so we get a second look at these. And what we're trying to do is verify that the clinical indicators are all present to support that diagnosis. And if they're not, my denials team will send out a retro query to get the missing pieces into the chart. This is the point where the diagnosis is either validated or removed. And doing this has dropped the inpatient denial rate to less than 1% of our discharge cases. Wow. We also use this information to formulate our education for our providers, our CDI encoding teams, and um, anybody else who will listen to us, basically. We vigorously appeal any denial that deserves it. And we've really won some high um, denial diagnoses cases. How did we do it? We have diagnosis specific templates that outline national criteria and a library of journal articles to support our position. We have worn out our ACTUS pocket guides, <laughs> using them as a resource. And I'm proud to say that just this week, we brought online the online ACTUS pocket guide for each one of our CDSs. We're blessed awesome. to have physician champions at every site. They help us with those tough appeals, as well as we have providers in, in specific fields that help us write the appeals. This has helped expedite the appeal process when we receive them, and we've even won a few. Um, but with the denial rate as low as ours, those are tough. We've had probably the most success with sepsis, and um, we appeal because they deny on sepsis three, but we as a, an organization use sepsis two. Okay. So, Interesting. I'm really glad to hear that you're making some headway with sepsis. Right. We absolutely are. I have to give the standard caveat. We we did not ask Patty to plug the Actus Pocket guy. That was that was her own, but we're <laughs> glad to hear that. <laughs> All right. You know, this has been great. You guys have a really robust program. Just maybe to wrap up with a final thought here. Do you have any advice for folks? We're going to see the poll result in just a moment, who's actually involved, but for a listener who is out there, maybe not involved with their CDI uh, staff in denials, um, you know, sort of any advice you have for them to get more involved either directly or maybe by helping other departments already involved? Absolutely. Our process started as a coder only written appeal. And we realized that it needed to be a multifaceted approach. Bring those physicians in, bring those CDSs in. Work your denial line by line, formulating your appeal based on each line of the denial. Make templates for your high denial diagnoses. Um, get your physician champions involved. Find a provider who, who will assist you with clinical information. And when writing your appeal, use credentials for each one of the people that are involved in writing that appeal. And in the denial, ask for credentialed providers to review the appeal. For example, when we have a respiratory failure appeal, we ask for a pulmonologist or an anesthesiologist to review it on the insurance side. It truly 
truly takes a village. Yeah. Great That's stuff. That's great. I just want to add on too to just the the quality of work that Patty's team does really has uh, an impact beyond just this piece of work because you know post when a patient finishes up their inpatient gets discharged that good documentation and those appropriate uh, diagnosis diagnoses that are established carry on through the the patient's care on the ambulatory side and not only from uh, the quality of care and helping physicians see that continuation, but it influences a lot of different things. And so uh, whether that is denials of continued uh, ambulatory visits or for those pro for those insurances that have continued to show more risk-based care around diagnoses, and so things like HECs and things like that, that kind of initial work that Patty's team does goes beyond just denials and, and DRG capture. Sure. Well, thanks again, guys. Of course, Patty, your comment about sepsis two versus sep three initiated a flood of questions about how how you're winning those. We'll have to talk about that at a later date. Maybe I'll follow up with you after the show. But, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, great work. All right, let's take a look at our poll question that we asked. Uh, again, we asked our listeners today: Is your CDI staff involved in denials management? So, twenty six percent said yes. They're wholly or partially dedicated to denials. 35%, our largest bucket, said yes, but maybe indirectly uh, involved, called on to assist as needed. 30% say no, another department handles. 5% say our physician advisor fulfills that. And 4% other, not applicable. So what do you guys think, Frank, Patty, any uh, any surprises here or anything that you would have expected to see? I fully expected to see that. Um, I know we are blessed at Henry Ford to have a, a wholly dedicated team for denials. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I shared with John earlier that when I got involved in denials, it made me a better CDS. So I I strongly urge any of the CDSs out there that are anyway interested in denials to get involved. All right. Frank, Great advice. Thank yeah. you. Any thoughts here, Frank? No, I, I would agree with her. I think, um, you know, the, the understanding of how, how, what causes denial only helps you on the front end. So. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again, guys, for coming on and, and sharing that great experience. Um, you know, typically at this point in the show, I would switch to our in the news segment, and I'm certainly going to bring that back. But today, I wanted to spend just a little bit of time talking about a special offering from Actus, which is our uh, live virtual CDI bootcamp. I plugged this at the very outset of the show, and I figured since I have Don Valdez on, who's been teaching a few classes with us recently, that I could. Uh, chat with her just a bit about it and why we think this is such such a great positive offering. You know, um, this past year, Dawn has been crazy. I don't think anyone saying anything anyone doesn't know is with uh, the cancellation of, of live education. You know, from our side, we've had our conference we had to cancel and we moved our 2021 conference to October. Our boot camps are traditionally offered in the in the live classroom setting, either in hotels or, or at on-sites. Um, but we have this new offering. Um, so I was hoping you could talk just a little bit about 
this new class, Dawn, um, what we teach sure. in this setting and, and sort of what you, some of your favorite aspects are. Sure, and you hit the nail on the head. You know, we've all been through the 2020 saga together. Everybody knows the situation with travel restrictions prohibiting the large gatherings and things like that. So what we've done is we've adapted our boot camps for the live instructor to teach in the virtual setting. Now, we found a platform that's really working well for us, and I think that is what's making a huge difference in outcomes because the feedback that we're getting has been really great. Yeah, what 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 are your, some of your favorite aspects for for teaching this class? Um, it's 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 not just a static uh, e-learning class course that we're no. pushing out. There's a lot of interactivity. No, now now sometimes the e-learning that is on demand works for people's schedules, but if you like to have that live instructor component, this is a good class for that. I have a lot of favorite aspects, but I think the one that I want to talk about is that we teach as though we're live, and I think that's the a really important thing. We've developed ways to interact with each other that works just as well as when we're live in person, and I've got a lot of experience with this type of scenario um, from my prior work history, but the only difference is that everyone is typically in their own environment. Uh, a lot of people are working remotely still, and we found that a lot of folks like this because they, they tell me that, you know, I'm comfortable, I'm relaxed, I can take it in easier, you know, all the training, um, they have ability to have great engagement, which we've had. It's been a win-win all the way around. So I think this live version of the virtual world, the mixing of the two, is the new norm. Right. Is there anything that students can expect to learn in this class? I know you oh guys gosh. recently updated yeah. the, the, the materials. Um, yeah. This is that's right. This is an awesome CDI boot camp. And I'm going to I'm going to go out and say that it's really good for the the person who's new to CDI as well as the experienced. We cover the gamut. It covers subject matter involving understanding the guidelines from a CDI perspective to reviewing those coding conventions. You know, we're working in those encoders all the time. We tend to forget about those inclusion terms and we might not need to send a query or we may, you know. So that can really help. We also talk about how to approach that CDI review, and really how to make that work for the CDI. Identifying those query opportunities, which is you know, very important to every organization. And then we talk about the best practices for query writing. We give examples. The query writing is always a very engaging uh, topic for CDI. Then we go on into physician education tips. They're spread throughout the program, and especially on our problem child areas. And one of my favorite things to teach is understanding those clinical indicators and really drilling down to those problematic diagnoses. And now we've got to add COVID to the mix. Sepsis is, you know, that's always going to be our problem child, as is encephalopathy. Our malnutrition's with the OIG impact. Neoplasms can be a confusing topic. And then, as Patty was talking about, that respiratory failure, acute MIs, the demand ischemia, you know, the whole gamut, um, along with all common diagnoses that we see often in our facilities. We do it by body systems. We talk about MDCs. Um, it's just a really great course. Yeah. Well, I, I think it sounds great, Don. Really appreciate that. Um, I know there's a lot of interactivity as well with students. I'm showing this. The, this is the landing page. If you're interested in learning more or, or attending one of our upcoming classes, you can check it out there. If, if you like, you know, 
hearing from Don on the podcast and Sean Brody and Laurie Prescott, who are my frequent co-hosts, um, these are the guys that teach it, and they've got a lot to offer. So consider checking out, if you get staff to train, the, the live virtual CDI boot camp. Good stuff, Don. Thanks, Brian. All right. Just a brief Actus update. Um, want to let you guys know about a free program we have coming up next week. Um, this is called Actus Insights, the second surge impact of COVID-19. Uh, our listeners may recall that we had a survey that we issued the end of December and into January about how this second surge has impacted CDI departments nationwide. Well, we're providing a free 90-minute webinar next week, next Thursday, February 11th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 Eastern. Um, we're going to be reviewing the results of that survey. We got 13 questions we asked, which revealed some really interesting data. Um, we're look, we asked questions about organizational revenue impacts, any cost-cutting fallouts, and creative use of CDI staff during this time. Um, we're going to cover the state of remote CDI work, and some of the, frankly, I'm not exaggerating, if we heard our first, our last guest of 2020, some of the heroic ways that CDI professionals are pitching and returning to the bedside, for example, uh, to help against the pandemic. So we're bringing back three panelists from a program we did on this topic back in April 2020, Tanya Catapano from Yale New Haven Health, Angie Comfort from LifePoint Health, and Adelaide LaRosa from Catholic Health Services. I'm really excited about the show. It's free with registration. You can find it on actus.org under the resources tab. Um, I'll also put a link to this in the show notes. So if you haven't registered, there's still time. I recommend you do so. All right, well, that is going to do it for today's uh, topic. Again, I wanna thank Frank and Patty for coming on to share their great case study at Henry Ford. When we come back in two weeks, we're going to be tackling a um, topic I've been hearing more and more about. Um, what is artificial intelligence or AI? We're going to have an artificial intelligence developer on. I hope I can carry that conversation. He's a very smart individual. We're going to hear about the latest technologies. So again, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We have post these recordings in the days following the show, which you can check out on actus.org. As always, if you have any suggestions for future guests or ideas about the format of the show, shoot me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. All right, that will do it. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Take care, everyone.